The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 416. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. You get a free class when you do enroll, 10 Myths of American History, and you get the best deals on new and forthcoming courses. I also have 12 classes there available for purchase. So if you purchase a class, you keep this podcast free of charge. It's a win-win. You get great content, and you get this for nothing. So go on over to McClanahanAcademy.com and enroll in one of those classes or 12 of those classes and keep this podcast going. You can also click on that support tab at BrianMcClanahan.com. You can throw a few pennies my way. You can buy a book plate if you want my autograph on one of my books. You can get Southern Scribblings, Founding Fathers' Guide to the Constitution, Pig to the Founding Fathers, Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America, Who, How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America. Lots of great books. You can buy those at all your major book retailers, and then you get your autograph. So buy that book plate, I sign it, send it out to you. Again, it's fast and easy. You can also click on that shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com and get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. So lots of great ways to support the show. Go to Learn True, T-R-U-E, LearnTrueHistory.com. It's my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom, where I teach with Tom and a whole lot of other great faculty members. And as always, the best way to support the show is to let people know you listen to it. Rate it wherever you get your podcast. Listen to it quickly after the show is produced, because that will get it bumped up the charts. Uh, do everything you can to get people interested in the show. Share it around on social media. That's how we get people thinking locally and acting locally. Now... This particular episode of the show has to do with science. And um, I was lecturing the other day in my classes about this conflict between science and tradition that really starts in the age of reason. And one thing that you figure out as you go back and you look at how science and tradition have butted heads over the years, or science and religion, you could say it's that, is that the scientists don't always know what they're doing. And I think if anything should have exposed that, it's the COVID crisis. If you go back and look at how scientists defined herd immunity in 2019, and then you go look at how they define herd immunity now, it's politicized. It's politicized because science is driven by governments. I have a spouse of a family member who has many advanced degrees, both these people do, in fields of science. And this individual works on climate change. And he's admitted that they follow the money. They produce papers and projects because they want to get grants and they want to do things. And so when the science community gets involved in grants, gets ingrained in the government, well, then it becomes an arm of the government. It becomes the Ministry of Science. And the Ministry of Science is going to be interested in expanding power and getting money. And so how do you do that? Well, you create a climate where they become important. 
And if climate change is real, well, then you need scientists out there saying that this thing is real and we got to do this policy and that policy, and that gets them money. Fauci is the highest paid, well, the highest paid, I think, if he's not the highest, he's one of the highest paid government employees in the United States. Well, he's made himself essential, right? Because he's out there saying these are the things that need to be done. We need to have lockdowns, masks, all this stuff. Even though at the beginning he said we didn't need masks, they don't work. But now we need masks. Before we didn't need masks. I mean, which one is it? Well, it's because they don't really know. They make it up as they go along oftentimes, based on um, politics and other things, because they're just political creatures as well. And so as you look at science, it's a highly politicized field. Climate change is part of that. Al Gore, going out in the early 2000s, of course, in the 1990s as well, when he was in uh, the executive branch, making this such a big part of the government. I mean, Al Gore made this political. We know that the Earth now is cooler than it was a thousand years ago. And the Vikings weren't sailing around in coal-powered battleships. But we know that the Earth was warmer then. Well, why? Why was it warmer in the high Middle Ages than it is now? I mean, what's going on there? Of course, one of the things that's interesting about the lockdown is that, you know, there's been these, these studies. Well, people are happier during the lockdown because the Earth is quieter. There's not as much human-made geo, uh, geo-activity. They, they, um, they, uh, they're not causing the Earth to move as much because people are sitting at home and they're not walking around and driving cars and all the things that they're doing. Air travel's down. This is better for the environment. It's cleaner. It's better. You see... There's a side effect to this. I really think part of this, part of the lockdowns, I mean, this is not conspiratorial, but certainly there are people that were, would be interested in what would happen if humans stayed home more. They didn't go out as much. They didn't do as many things. Of course, it's crushing economies. Across the globe, it's crushing economies. Places are just being destroyed by this. People are losing their livelihood. And so as a result, the other policy initiative is to get Big fat paychecks sent out to people. We're going to put people on, on the government payroll. We're creating an environment where you have a universal basic income. That's the whole point. You see, if you can do that, well, these people are going to get money because they have kids and everything else. So now the state is involved in sending you a paycheck if you have children. Well, you, you create an incentive at that point. You incentivize people to have children um, that can't afford it, generally. So this is, this is creating an environment where we've got all kinds of problems based on, quote-unquote, science. So I want to talk about this, this idea of climate change. Now, you go back to the 18th century, and you start looking at Thomas Malthus, the Malthusians. And I remember when I was in, as an undergraduate, I took a class, I think it was, I uh, can't remember the title of it, but it was a soft science class. And what I mean by that, usually we say soft science, it's psychology, sociology, but this was a science class but it wasn't a lab class. We didn't, we didn't have physical labs. We did go out into the environment and do things in the woods. And it was, but it was, a, it was a biology in the environment or something like that. And the guy that taught the class was a 1960s leftist radical. And look, I actually enjoy, I mean, I love the environment. I love the woods. I love being out, outdoors. These are fun things. And so I thought this is going to be a fun class. Now, he was kind of interesting because he wasn't so hard. He, he was a firm believer in man-made climate change. Um, and this was at the beginning of all this stuff, at least uh, in the way we think of it now. This, this stuff has been around for a long time. Uh, back in the 70s, we're talking about Ice Age. And, but regardless, 
Uh, this particular individual was interested in Malthusian philosophy. And of course, Thomas Malthus believed that the earth had a limit on the amount of people that could be in it. There was a sustainable limit to human population, just like any other animal population. When deer get out of control, they start to starve. And so this is why hunters go out and, and take care of the deer population or bird populations, other things like that. When a population gets out of control, the idea is to try to control that population through hunting. Well, we're not going to hunt humans unless, I guess you're going to watch that movie where you know, right-wingers are hunted. But um, we, we're in a situation where the Malthusians believe that there's a limit to human population, that there's only so much food we can have, there's only so much water. This is one of the great... We, there were stories about this, and I haven't seen much about it recently, but the giant aquifer that's sitting under Texas and up through places like Oklahoma, this big lake. Nobody knew how big it was, but it was underground water reserve. And the Texas farmers were pumping into that and, of course, watering their crops and everything. And this, well, this thing's drying up. We don't know how it's not there anymore. I haven't seen any stories about this recently, if that's still going on or not. But there certainly was, again, this fear-mongering. If we don't stop watering our crops, we're going to run out of water in Texas. Texas is going to go dry again, and it's going to be just like it was during the Dust Bowl. We're headed for another Dust Bowl. These are some of the headlines. Headed for another Dust Bowl. Of course, none of that's happened. And this is the thing about science. When, they, when none of this stuff happens, people don't hold them accountable and say, well, you said we were going to have this, like I mean, COVID. Florida was going to have 8 million deaths. Everybody was going to die in Florida. Every single person was going to die of COVID in Florida if we just have a Super Bowl party. Of course, none of that happened. None of this has happened. And nobody ever calls them out on it. Hey, you scientists, you're, you're, you've said some really stupid things. And it's not, I mean, Al Gore every year says we've got 20 years to live. He's been saying it for 20 years. Well, here we are 20 years later. We're still here. So why doesn't anybody call these people out on it? Well, because the media doesn't hold any of these people accountable because they're in, and I'm have, I have an episode, and we already talked about it, on propaganda. The media is in their pocket. Right? So that's the real issue. They're never going to call them out on it. So I want to talk about this article that I saw. And this came out in 2019. It was, it was published, I think, in The Guardian. And it, it's based on a New York Times article that came out about the same time. And it's about air conditioning. You see, so the Malthusians believe there's a limit to population. And a lot of the, the radical environmentalists, and when I say radical environmentalists, I'm not talking about people that just want to, I mean, look, I want clean air, clean water, those things. I want people to be responsible with those kind of things and protect the environment themselves. One of the greatest examples of that is uh, Callaway Gardens in, uh, in Pine Mountain, Georgia. It's a private reserve where you can go and, and enjoy the gardens, and you pay money to get in. And you can get memberships to it, and you help support the conservation efforts in that area. Well, it's something that um, you know I've been doing for years because I think it's important to help these private companies do these things when they're looking at conservation. These are important things, right? And doing as much as you can to be a good steward of the environment and not wasting and all those kind of things. These are things that are important. They're just logical, logically important things. But the science is being driven by... Uh, politics. And Malthus certainly became popular with the left because we're all just all going to die. Really, saving the environment is not about saving the earth. It's about saving humanity in their mind because if we don't do these things, we're all going to die. So you think about, I mean, if, if we're really interested in you know not having the earth, warmth is a real problem. Warmth is a problem for people. Now, think about 
we have extreme temperatures, right? We just saw this in, in, the, in the southwest where we had this really nasty ice storm and uh, some people froze to death, unfortunately. It was a really bad situation. People were cold. Uh, cold is an issue. <clears throat> cold is really an issue. But heat, heat, and what that does kills more people than cold. Now, if it gets too cold and you don't have proper clothing and, and protection from it, of course, that's a dangerous situation too. But heat really is a problem uh, for a lot of people around the world. Heat, I mean, this is what we're told all the time. Heat's going to produce more violent storms. Heat's going to produce more nasty insects and all kinds of things are going to cause problems. So humans have figured out how to take care of this, to make yourselves more comfortable and to uh, protect. I mean, humans like to be in about 70 degrees. That's why everyone loves to live in San Diego, right? Because it's about 70 degrees all year. So humans like to be in about 70 degrees. That's where we function the best. Gets too hot. Anybody that's lived in the South knows when it gets too hot and you try to do things in the heat, well, you suffer from uh, heat stroke or other things. And being cool increases productivity. It makes things better. So this article from 2019 is entitled, The Air Conditioning Trap, How Cold Air is Heating the World. The whole point of it is to say we shouldn't run our air conditioners. This is based on science, supposedly. And I, he, the, the, the author, Stephen Barani, starts with a little story about how in New York City in 2019, there was going to be this massive drain on the power grid in July of 2019 because, well, they're going to have a heat wave. And all these New Yorkers were going to turn on their air conditioners. And when they turned on their air conditioners, it was going to spike. And he, he tells us uh, this really disastrous story. By the evening of Sunday, July 21, 2019, with temperatures above 97 Fahrenheit and demand at more than 12,000 megawatts every second, Con Edison cut power to 50,000 customers in Brooklyn and Queens for 24 hours, afraid that parts of the nearby grid were close to collapse, which could have left hundreds of thousands of people without power for days. The state had to send in police to help residents, and Con Edison crews dispensed dry ice for people to cool their homes. So they cut 50,000 people, which saved hundreds of thousands of people. Now, they cut it in Brooklyn and Queens. Now, what do those two areas have in common? Number one, there are nicer parts of Brooklyn and Queens. Okay, there's, there's no doubt about it. But those are generally poorer areas, and a lot of areas in those, in those areas of boroughs are not going to be as affluent. And so the grid, the power grid in those areas, probably hasn't been updated enough. Not enough money has been spent on infrastructure. We're going to spend it on windmills and all kinds of other stupid things. But we're not going to just upgrade the infrastructure and try to put money into doing that. So the infrastructure is bad. We're not looking for modern solutions to some of these power grid problems, which could be done. But, of course, we're not going to invest in that because we're investing in uh, you know, GE is investing in some big fat windmill they can stick out in the middle of the ocean that might generate enough power if it can keep running instead of looking at other technologies. This is why Elon Musk, the left, hates him so much. First of all, he's much more of a libertarian than they like. He's taken a lot of government money now, don't get me wrong. But they hate Elon Musk because he's innovative and he's trying to come up with solutions to keep the world operating on a, in a level that it is now, which means... We like air conditioning, and we like power, and we like things that are advanced, right? We like comfort. Elon Musk is interested in that. 
and trying to come up with sustainable ways to do it that aren't stupid. Well, the left doesn't like that because they want control. They want to be able to shut people down or say, you can't have an air conditioning. This whole article is about figuring out how people can't have air conditionings. Now, I know some people in the South who don't believe in air conditioning. They just don't believe in it. I, I had grandparents who didn't believe in it. It would get hot. You'd go to their house in the summertime, and they didn't have an air conditioning running. And it was hot. And, uh, you know, this is this is a miserable situation. You don't rest well. You're not productive. I mean, Southerners historically have not been as active as Northerners. Why? Because it's hot. And these, when it gets up to 97 in New York, oh, my gosh, that's a daily occurrence in the South. Daily. But the Southern power grid is better equipped to handle it because we know it's going to happen. So the question is, I mean, this is just like in Texas. Oh, what's going on in Texas? Why weren't these people prepared for an ice storm? That has doesn't happen except in about every hundred years. Well, because it doesn't happen. So you don't you don't plan for those kind of things. They should have there should have been some more preparation a few days before the storm. Meteorologists who were smart were predicting this is going to be a bad situation. Joe Bastardi, for example, which all the left has just shunned because he was pro-Trump, Joe Bastardi uh, was saying, send trucks now, send power trucks now, get people down there so it's already there. So when this ice storm hits, we know, put them in staging areas, we can get the power back on real quick, because it's going to be a a massive, massive problem. Other things, government shutdowns because of COVID, they couldn't test the power grid or other things in these areas, so because they couldn't go and show up, because they, they had to be six feet apart and all this other nonsense. So government policy, again, caused the problem. But then you get to the crux of this particular piece. As the world gets hotter, scenes like these will become increasingly common. Buying an air conditioner is perhaps the most popular individual response to climate change. And air conditioners are almost uniquely power-hungry appliances. A small unit cooling a single room on average consumes more power than running four fridges. While a central unit cooling an average house uses more than 15. Last year in Beijing, during a heat wave, 50% of the power capacity was going to air conditioning. So what? People are staying cool and maybe more productive. Do do we not want that for people? Do we not want people to be comfortable? Isn't that better for humanity to be comfortable? There are just over 1 billion single-room air conditioning units in the world right now, about one for every seven people on Earth. Numerous reports have projected that by 2050, there are likely to be more than 4.5 billion, making them as ubiquitous as the mobile phone is today. The U.S. already uses as much electricity for air conditioning each year as the U.K. uses in total. Again, so what? Who cares? Okay, think about the comparison there. The U.S. uses as much energy on air conditioning as the U.K. in total. The U.K. is the size of a state in the United States. Now, more people, granted, but the size of a state. The United States has 320 million people. It's like saying uh, China uses more power than the United... Why, why isn't China threatened? There's, there's a billion people in China. India, what's their power usage? Now, we know they don't... You know, India is advancing. Of course, this is the, there's a New York Times article about this and how India and China and these other places, because they're advancing, you know, people want more air conditioning. India wants more air conditioning. You can understand India is a hot, sticky, humid place in much of it. So these people are going to want to stay cool. Who doesn't want that for them? I do. I live in the South, where it's hot and sticky and nasty, and you want some air conditioning. It keeps you more productive. 
The IEA projects that the rest of the world reaches, as the rest of the world reaches similar levels, air conditioning will use about 13% of all electricity worldwide and produce 2 billion tons of CO2 a year. About the same amount as India, the world's third largest emitter, produces today. Ooh. So, I mean, if we keep running our air conditionings, we're going to pollute the environment. All these reports note of the, the awful irony of the feedback loop. Warmer temperatures lead to more air conditioning. More air conditioning leads to warmer temperatures. Well, there's, that's not proven. Air conditioning doesn't necessarily lead to more, warmer temperatures. This is just taken as fact. Well, if we run the power, it's going to create a warmer environment. Do we know that for a fact? The Earth was stabilized, the temperature stabilized for years. We hadn't had a warming Earth in a decade. In a decade. That's not reported. We hadn't had that. So what's really going on here? Is the Earth warming because of humans? Is COVID going down because of social distancing and masses? What the science, the science says the Earth is getting, uh, the social distancing is working. But it happens in places where they weren't doing that. So what's really going on? What they admit is they don't actually know. They don't know. They don't really know about this either. It's a guess. But of course, there's a political motivation to this. The global dominance of air conditioning was not inevitable. As It's not inevitable. I mean, we could have all been sweating our butts off all the time. Nasty sweating, unproductive. We could have had that. We could have had a situation where people were, uh, you know, uh, in, in an environment where it was a little more unhealthy. We could have had that. We could have had that more unhealthy environment. I mean, think about well, air conditioning was designed for industrial use. He says this later on. Originally built for industrial use, air conditioning eventually came to be seen as essential, a symbol of modernity and comfort. Well, of course. Again, this fool probably has never lived anywhere where you don't have it, and it's 97 degrees until 9 o'clock at night. People don't sleep. You've got two-story houses, three-story. Think about a high-rise in India with no air conditioning, and you're on the, you're on the top or the higher floors. It's hot. Stifling hot. No, I mean, these people are so stupid they can't get out of their own way. Air conditioning makes that a more tolerable situation. Then air conditioning went global. Today, as with other drivers of the climate crisis, we race to find solutions. The climate crisis. The air conditioning is driving the climate crisis. No, it's not. There's no evidence of that. There's no evidence at all. These are all guesses based on computer models. And computer models are often wrong. We've had computer models with COVID. Again, anybody that's been paying attention for a year should understand that the science, science, quote unquote, follow the science is a flawed reasoning because science is not necessarily accurate. Meteorology, which is not the same as climate, right? Weather is not the same as climate. They're two different things. Climate can produce weather, but they can't tell you more than a day out exactly what it's going to be like. They have to have all the data really accurate data close to it to tell you exactly what it's going to be. And they're only accurate about two days, maybe maximum, three days maximum. Other than that, they're not accurate. Um, and again, I live in an area where severe weather is common, and they're pretty accurate a day before. And I've seen it firsthand. They, they've zeroed in on areas and said, this is going to be a tough area, and it's proven 100% correct. But five days before, they could say we're going to have, we might have a problem developing five days from now. Three days from now, yeah, it's probably more likely. But until the day before, they can't predict it. And this is based on computer modeling because computers, all kinds of variables and all this stuff. They don't know. They don't know at all. Like the aqueduct or the automobile, air conditioning is a technology that transformed the world. 
Lee Kuan Yew, the first Prime Minister of Independent Singapore, called it one of the signal, single inventions of history that allowed the rapid modernization of his tropical country. So is that not good? Do we want do we want Singapore to be sitting in the Stone Age because they can't get air conditioners? Well, this seems like this is what this moron wants. In 1998, the American academic Richard Nathan told the New York Times that along with the Civil Rights Revolution, air conditioning has been the biggest factor in changing American demography and politics over the previous three decades, enabling extensive residential development in the very hot and very conservative American South. So this is a bad thing. Say, because. Because of the air conditioner, people moved into the South, and the South became the bad section. Southerners now were going to dominate things. Well, what they're really noticing here, what he should be saying is that this is changing the South because more Northerners could move into the South. You see, Southerners could tolerate it a little bit more than Northerners, but they come down here from... New York, and I mean, think about Florida. There's parts of Florida that aren't in the South, and that's because all the Northerners move in from those areas. So it's allowed for the growth of the of Florida, but coastal Carolina, along Charleston, and all that area, it's all Yankees now. Uh, you've got areas of Georgia just along again along the coast. Mostly coastal areas are gonna are facing that. Gulf Coast, Atlantic Coast, you're seeing more of that. Um, the interior sections, not so much, but certainly that's changing the South. Not usually for the better. A century ago, few would have predicted this. For the first 50 years of its existence, air conditioning was mainly restricted to factories and a handful of public spaces. The initial invention is credited to Willis Carrier, an American engineer at a heating and ventilation company who was tasked in 1902 with reducing humidity in a Brooklyn printing factory. Today, we assume that the purpose of air conditioning is to reduce heat, but engineers at the time weren't solely concerned with temperature. They wanted to create the most stable possible conditions for industrial production. And in a print factory, humidity curled sheets of paper and smudged ink. So, I mean, look, when air conditioners were installed in textile mills in the South, it was to keep the machines cool. Not the workers. They didn't care about that. It was to keep the machines from overheating. You had conditions in those factories of 110 plus degrees. And, of course, you're dealing with fabric, too, so humidity is a problem. So they didn't care about what people face in terms of the working conditions that they wanted was to keep the machines healthy. And the byproduct was that people could be a little cooler as well. Kerr realized that removing heat from the factory air would reduce humidity, so he borrowed technology from the nascent refrigeration industry to create what was and still is essentially a jacked-up fridge. Then, as now, air conditioning units work by breathing in warm air, passing it across a cold surface, and exhale, exhaling cool, dry air. The invention was an immediate success with industry, textile, ammunition, and pharmaceutical factories were among the first adapters, and then began to catch on elsewhere. The House of Representatives installed air conditioning in 1928, followed by the House, White House and the Senate in 1929. But during this period, most Americans encountered air conditioning only in places such as theaters or department stores, where it was seen as a delightful novelty. Well, I mean, if Congress, but, you know, Congress, White House gets it. That's not, I mean, but people can't have it. No, no, average people shouldn't get it. 1940s, you get air conditioning. By 1938, only about one of every 400 American homes had an air conditioner. Today, it's closer to 9 out of 10. Well, that's great for people that are... I mean, isn't it wonderful to live in a place that you can get an air conditioning? We think of in, in poverty in the United States, of people that are in poverty, quote-unquote, in the U.S., have living conditions far superior to people in poverty in other parts of the world. Isn't that a great thing? Don't we really want that? Don't we want even the poorest among us to have some of the basic comforts of life? An air conditioner, a stove, shoes beds, several changes of clothes, sanitary items. Don't we really want that? Isn't that what all this is about? 
Isn't that a wonderful thing? But no, not to these people. These people should be sweating. We don't need that. We don't need these things. So consumer demand exploded the uh, exploded the rise of the air conditioner. As Cooper writes, architects, builders, and bankers accepted air conditioning first, and consumers were faced with a fait accompli that they merely had to ratify. Equally essential to the rise of the air conditioner were electric utilities, the companies that operate power plants and sell electricity to consumers. Electric utilities benefit from every new house hooked up to the grid, but throughout the early 20th century, they were also looking for ways to get those new customers to use even more electricity. This is all just an insidious plot for power companies to get people to use more power. Now, there's no doubt. When you use a lot of power, you pay a lot more money. I mean, this is what happens. This process is known as load building, after the industry term load for the amount of electricity used at any one time. The cost of electricity was low, which was fined by the utilities. They simply increased demand and encouraged customers to use more electricity so they could keep expanding and building new power plants. Utilities quickly recognized that air conditioning was a serious load builder. By the 1950s, the future, which you have air conditioning, had arrived. Electric utilities ran print, radio, and film adverts promoting air conditioning, as well as offering financing and discount rates to construction companies that installed it. So it's all this great plot from industrial capitalism to ensure that people get air conditioners. We really didn't need these things. It's all because of big business. So all of this happens in the United States. I'm, I'm trying to flip through this, this article because uh, it's a long piece. During the time that air conditioning was reshaping America's cities, it had little effect elsewhere. With some exceptions, Japan, Australia, and Singapore were early adopters. Now, however, air conditioning is finally sweeping across the rest of the world. If the march of air conditioning across the United States tracked its post-war building and consumption boom, its more recent expansion has followed the course of globalization. As the rest of the world adopts more Americanized ways of building and living, air conditioning follows. In the 1990s, many countries across Asia opened up to foreign investment and embarked on an unprecedented urban building spree. This is all because of the United States. It's all our fault. Over the past three decades, about 200 million people in India have moved to cities. In China, the number is more than 500 million. From New Delhi to Shanghai, heavily air-conditioned office buildings, hotels, and malls began to spring up. These buildings were not only indistinguishable from those in New York or London, but were often constructed by the same builders and architects. And it says, well, air conditioning meant progress. Well, doesn't it? Doesn't air conditioning actually, I mean, isn't being comfortable a pretty good thing? You're more productive. You're more comfortable. You have a humans-like comfort. Who wants to sweat it out all day? It's awful. It's miserable. Dehydration is a problem. Heat stroke. All those things that happen, you can't do anything when you're too hot. At the rate... As the rate of scale and building intensified, traditional architectural methods for mitigating hot temperatures were jettisoned. Lena Thomas, an Indian professor of architecture at the University of Technology in Sydney, told, Sydney, told me that in Delhi in the early 1990s, older forms of building construction, which had dealt with heat through window screens or facades, and uh, were slowly displaced by American or European styles. Okay. You can open a window, but it doesn't make it cooler. Unless you have something to make the air cooler. I mean, this is what people face in the South for years. They would open, they would put ice in front of a fan and try to cool it off that way. It doesn't make it cooler. Air conditioning does. Opening a window in the middle of a 97 to 100 degree day with 80% humidity <laughs> or even 50, 60% humidity doesn't make it cooler. You just sweat. So this is stupid. 
uh, facades. You know, you had a little building construction where it was, uh, you had the mitigating heat with shades and, and uh, you know, awnings and things like that. Come on. It doesn't make it cooler. It's ridiculous. And people wanted this stuff. Look, if people didn't like this stuff, they wouldn't have gotten it. This, it's not being, for, people love air conditioning. It's not being forced on them, really. They like it. They want it. Law says that even with affordable housing, it's possible to reduce the need for air conditioning by designing carefully. You balance the size of openings, the area of the wall, the thermal properties, and shading, the orientation, he says. But he argues that, in general, developers are not interested. Even little things like adequate shading and insulation in the rooftop are resisted. The builders don't appear to see any value in this. They want 10 to 20-story blocks close to one another. That's just how business works now. That's what the cities are forcing us to do. It's all driven by speculation and land value. So because now look, I do agree that um, turning the building facing things like that, yeah, you can uh, using proper insulation techniques. I will say that insulation does matter. What kind of insulation you put in the wall? We have now we have spray foam insulation, which is really good stuff that does help prevent some of the heat transfer and also cool. I mean, in colder areas, uh, you can go in an attic with spray foam insulation. It's eighty degrees in there because it's it's it blocks out so much heat. Now, your house is still going to be humid. This is the other issue. Can you deal with humidity? So let's get to the end of this um, and near the end. One step towards solving the problem presented by air conditioning and one that doesn't require a complex overhaul of the modern city would be to build better air conditioner. Well, okay, there's plenty of room for improvement here. The invention of air conditioning predates both the first airplane and the first public radio broadcast. Everything is still based on the vapor compression cycle, same as refrigerators, effectively the same process as a century ago. What has happened is we've expanded the affordability of the air conditioner, but as far as the efficiency, they've improved, but they haven't leaped. I mean, there are some really, there are some more efficient air conditioners. You have to look for it, but of course they're more expensive. And so builders that are looking to save costs because, well, things are expensive are not going to put these in. Uh, so, yeah, making more efficient air conditioners is a good idea. Uh, certainly all that. I, I'm all for innovation and doing these things to make things better. Uh, if we're not about to be rescued by technology and worldwide policy changes look like a distant hope, there remains a very simple way of reducing the environmental damage done by air conditioning. Use less of it. This is the whole crux of the piece. If, if we can't do all this stuff, then you should be hot. You should sweat. But as the ecological econo uh, economist and IAPCC author Julia Steinberger has written, any serious proposals to change our lifestyles, cutting down on driving, flying, or imposing uh, or imported avocados are considered beyond the pale, heretic, almost insane. Well, unless you have COVID, then you just lock everybody down. This is written in 2019, right? <laughs> but, uh, I mean, don't eat avocados. They're That's bad. It's creating climate change. Or, um, you know, don't drive or fly. You, you don't use your air conditioning. This is essentially true of air conditioning, where calls used it less are frequently treated as suggestions that people should die in heat waves or evidence of a malicious desire to deny other people the same comforts as citizens in wealthy countries. I mean, isn't this true? I just said it. Isn't it not true? Use air conditioning less? Well, we don't want these people to have it. This summer, the publication of a New York Times article asking, Do Americans need air conditioning? touched off a thousand furious social media posts, uniting uh, figures from the feminist writer and Critic Roxanne Gay, 
You wouldn't last a summer in Florida without get a grip. To the conservative professor and pundit Tom Nichols, air conditioning is why we let the left the caves. You will get my AC for me when you pry for my frozen, frosty hands. Despite this backlash, there is a reasonable case to be made that we are over-reliant on air conditioning and could cut back. The supposedly in- ideal indoor temperature has long been determined by air conditioner engineers using criteria that suggest pretty much all humans want the same temperature range at all times. The underlying idea is that comfort is objective and that a building in Jakarta could be the same temperature as one in Boston. In practice, says Lena Thomas, that means that the temperatures in most air conditioner buildings are usually low 20s plus minus 1. They're talking about, of course, Celsius. But not everyone has accepted the notion there is such a thing as objectively right temperature. Studies have suggested that men have different ideal temperatures from women. In offices around the world, men toil in their dream temperatures, while women left to shiver. One of many suggestions that scientific research had simply confirmed something millions of women already knew. Researchers have also shown that people live in hotter areas, even for a very short time, are comfortable at higher indoor temperatures. That's not true. None of this is true. Uh, and look, yeah, I do agree that there's not an idea. That the power companies tell you put it at 78. 78, no, no, that's too hot. Anybody who's lived in the South knows 78 stinks, right? You don't want that. I'm going to walk around in shorts and no shirt on all the time. It's humid, too. They contend that whether it's state of mind or a biological adjustment, human comfort is adaptive, not objective. This is something that seems obvious to many people who live in those temperatures. At a recent conference on air conditioning that I attended in London, an Indian delegate chided the crowd, if, if I can work at a fu- and function at 30 Celsius, you could too. Believe you me. Well, if I can do it, you can do it. You should just do what I say. Think about what's going on here. I think that we should adjust. I mean, I like to heat my house around 70 in the summertime. It's nice. In the wintertime, too. 70 all year. It's nice temperature. 70 all year. It goes into policy. At the local level, some progress will be made. A New York City Council recently passed far-reaching legislation requiring all large buildings in the city to reduce their overall emissions by 40%. So we're going to get into, what can we do about this? We can use government to force people to use less air conditioning. We can force people to stay home. Because the science says this. The science doesn't say anything about this. Nobody knows. There's no science behind this. It's all speculative. And that's the real problem with all of this. But anyways, I digress. All right. Hope you enjoyed. I've gone a little too long on this. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Brian McClanahan Show. Uh, we Follow the science is all political. Is the point of this show. It's always political. The end of it is what you expect. Use government legislation to ensure that people use less. Now, that's local because local cities are... But you can take part in those, in those discussions at the local level because this is where the rubber meets the road. Local governments are going to be the ones driving these policies. So get involved in that stuff and get out there and do it. All right, I'll see you next time with the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.